Good morning. My name is John Fox, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today, uh, we're going to be reading Psalm 23, so feel free to go ahead and turn there. Thank you, Gatlin, for leading us. You're probably not aware of it yet, but he actually just led us through most of Psalm 23, even in singing those first three songs. So let me go ahead and read Psalm 23, and, uh, and then we'll continue for this morning. It's pretty short, only six verses. It's a psalm of David, and it starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 23. Thank you for being our shepherd. God, I ask that you would give us insight today to see what it means that you're the shepherd and to see what it means that we're the sheep. Lord, I ask that regardless of where people are this morning, that you would come and speak to them through your word and be tender with them. In your name, amen. So today we are going through Psalm 23, and this is actually the second time through the Psalms for us in our Summer in the Psalms series. And you can brag about that to people if you want. You could say that in some way or another you've already read all the Psalms, because each one of the sermons that we're doing, each one of the messages is a part of one of the books, and there's five books in the Psalms. And so today we actually start back over in the first book of the Psalms, And we're going to land in Psalm 23, and it's really a time in David's life uh, that is very tender, that is very personal, and very important for him. And so David, in in the first book of the Psalms, which he comprises about half of the Psalms, but... Um, the first book of the Psalms is really the story of David's own affliction and rise to power, if you know anything about King David. And so here in Psalm 23, where we land, or where we start, is actually one of those kind of difficult and dark times in David's own life. And we get to see how he, how he lived through that and how he wrestled with God in it and how he prayed to God in the midst of difficulty And we're not going to go into the necessary difficulties that he experienced, even though there's all sorts of options if you read 1st or 2nd Samuel. But today we do get to see uh, a very special psalm. In fact, it's a very popular psalm. Very popular. It's popular and it's unique because it is popular in Christian circles and in secular ones. Psalm 23 is one of those kind of rare chapters in scripture that people across the world know. You can mention Psalm 23 and people would have some kind of idea of it, certainly in Christian circles, because uh, it's 
it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's on coffee cups, it's on banners, it's on pictures, it's on frames, it's everywhere. Psalm 23 is a very, very pervasive psalm in Christian culture, and it's because it's so delicate, it's so tender, and it's so comforting and compassionate. So who doesn't like that? People go through hard times, and so Psalm 23 is something that people instantly recognize with and say, I know what that's like. I need that. And Psalm 23 is also kind of unique because unlike some other psalms, it's one of the ones that if you read it, you actually experience it. When you hear about this this lying down in green pastures and going beside still waters, you actually start to experience that a little bit while you read it. And so it's a very popular psalm in Christian circles, but also secular ones as well. And maybe that's how you know it. I hope, I hope it's a little bit different, but maybe, maybe you just know it by music. It's actually referenced frequently by different artists. Uh, probably the, the oldest one that I could give you is Bob Dylan and U2, uh, which some of you are like, that's not that old. But it's, uh, it's, it's old enough, and so they actually put it in their song, Love Rescue Me, that they co-wrote together. And if you need something a little bit more recent, maybe a different genre, Coolio, Coolio, that's right, Coolio on Sunday morning, put this song into Gangster's Paradise, which is maybe the only reason that you know the song. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is a phrase that everybody knows, much due to Coolio. Thank you, Coolio. Or if not Coolio, then Kanye West recently in his song, Jesus Walks. Did I hear hear a hiss just now? I thought I heard a hiss. Um, But yeah, he puts it in his song, Jesus Walks. So it's very popular, not only music, but also movies. Denzel Washington in the apocalyptic movie, The Book of Eli, quotes this psalm, the entire psalm. He memorized it, and he quotes it at a fireside as he goes to sleep at night. It also shows up in Titanic. As the ship breaks apart, spoiler alert, alert, and then falls into the ocean, then the, you have to say it for everything these days, then uh, there's a priest on the ship who's standing there quoting Bible verses, a lot out of Revelation, but also Psalm 23. And last, but most recent, would be the new version of the Magnificent Seven in the final showdown as guns start slinging, the protagonist not only starts shooting, but starts quoting Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's very popular, but I have a contention this morning that I'm going to share with you, and that is that I do not think people understand this psalm. I really don't. You know, whether it's Coolio or Kanye, I do not think people understand this psalm. And so today we're just going to ask one simple question. What does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? Okay, that's the question. What does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? And in verse 1, it starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, before we get any further into the psalm, we need to recognize two things that jump out. And they're easy to pass over, but here they are. The first is that this is a personal psalm. As David writes, whatever kind of difficulty he's having in life, he writes and begins and ends with the same word in Hebrew. It's not the in Hebrew, it's just Lord There's different ways of talking about God in the Bible, and you can say God, or you can say 
the Lord, or you can say Lord, and in your Bible, it probably has all caps Lord, which actually means God's personal name. And so as David begins writing here, he doesn't begin with a generic form of God, the guy up in the heavens, as a lot of people would think about him, kind of this distant view of God. No, David begins with the most personal word for God in his vocabulary. He begins and ends the psalm this way. It cases the psalm to say that there's no one more personal to me. There's nobody more involved in my life. There's no one who knows me better than you. That's how, that's how David begins, that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So second thing to notice here, not only is this about the Lord, it's very personal, but it's also talking about God's people as sheep. And this is a metaphor that's used throughout the Bible. It's not the first time it's used here. David picks up on it from other writings in the Torah. But as he thinks about it on his grassy knoll somewhere as a shepherd looking over the sheep on a hill, this is what the Holy Spirit leads him to write, that the Lord is my shepherd, meaning I'm the sheep. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I'm a sheep. And this is not a flattering thing. When we typically think about sheep, you may have the image of a, some kind of a lamb, something really cute and springy and bouncing around and nuzzles up next to you, uh, something like a, a little puppy. This is, this is not normally how sheep are, especially depicted in the Bible. Sheep are essentially, in the biblical picture for us, two things. They are dumb and they are helpless. Dumb and helpless. They really are. And uh, here's a starting picture for you. And so as David starts to think about the sheep, him as a sheep and God as the shepherd, David's not thinking, oh, he's just so cute. I'm so cute. God loves me. That's part of it. But David, as a shepherd, knows sheep are dumb. I mean, dumb as dirt dumb. Um, some, fa some factoids about sheep here. Uh, I knew some of these, but actually learned a lot more as I was, as I was studying. Uh, so sheep, I'll, gi I'll give you an example of it here. Um, some time ago, ab about 15 years ago in Turkey, there were some shepherds that neglected their sheep, their flock of sheep, for breakfast. Okay, sheep take a lot of attention. So they're having breakfast, and then they find out that one of them falls over a cliff 50 feet and dies. And then another one, and another one. And 400 sheep follow the first sheep off this cliff and die in Turkey near the border of Iran. And not only that, but 1,100 more sheep follow the first 400. They're like lemmings, and they just fall off the cliff, but the 1,100 didn't die because they landed on the first 400. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, sheep are very dumb. Sheep are very dumb. Not only that, there's all sorts of fun things about sheep. Uh, sheep are also very helpless. Sheep are very helpless. Um, sheep need constant attention and care. Sheep actually won't even digest their food correctly unless they lie down. It's just how they're wired. And so as we see in this psalm, when David says that he makes me lie down in green pastures, that's because the sheep will die if he doesn't lie down. The sheep are quite helpless. Not only that, but they're, they're very vulnerable uh, to predators. And all sorts of animals have defense mechanisms. What do sheep do? They huddle in one circle, and sometimes they'll just lie down, 
And sometimes they'll just stay there and frantically make bleeding noises. They don't run. They don't have any defensive mechanism. They just are there for one big tasty meal. Sheep are very helpless. And actually, here's another fun thing about sheep. If you take a sheep and you, you turn it on his back, it will die. It will die because all the blood drains out of its legs, also out of its stomach, so it can't digest food any longer, and its airway closes. So if a, if a sheep gets turned upside down in a matter of minutes, it will die. Sheep are very helpless. Uh, probably the best example of this is uh, Shrek the sheep, and I think we have a picture of Shrek. Yes. So... Some sheep shed their, uh, shed their coats, but um, this particular kind of sheep doesn't. And so let me tell you about Shrek here. Shrek was actually uh, a part of a flock and had broken away, hated, hated the shearing process, and for six years lived in caves in New Zealand until it was found and found like this. This is what happens to a sheep if you don't cut the hair off of it. It will literally just grow and suffocate the thing to where it will die. And you say, well, maybe the sheep did live six years. You're right, but this is the exception and not the rule. Somehow it survived for six years like this. And, uh, and then, of course, a little bit later, it, it had the, the coat taken off of it and it just looked like a tiny sheep again. But this is, this is what happens to sheep. They are dumb and they are helpless. And this is certainly in David's mind as he writes that this is, this is not like a, a cuddly picture that you have when you think of sheep. David, David, when he thinks about him being a sheep of the great shepherd, God, he says, I am so dumb. I am so helpless. I need your help. And yet, at the same time, what we see in verses 1 to 3 here is that sheep have a good life, don't they? A very good life in verses 1 to 3. Even though they're dumb and they're helpless, they are cared for tenderly by the shepherd. Now, I think it's helpful just to get the sheep's perspective for a second. So just, just imagine with me, if you were a sheep, uh, then think about this. Every day, okay, every day you have someone come and take care of you, provide for all your needs. You have someone give you all the food that you need, give you all the drink that you need, give you a nice place to rest, gives you safety and protection from enemies, and in verse 3, restores your soul. This is a great place to be. I mean, who doesn't want to be a sheep, right? I do. <laughs> I mean, I look at this like, I don't have to worry about anything. And that's how the psalm begins, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing I need. Everything that I need is taken care of. And this is the first thing that we see about God as shepherd, that the Lord cares for his sheep. The Lord cares for his sheep. And so I think we have to really ask ourselves and wonder, do, do I recognize God's personal and intentional tender care for me like this? Do I, do I understand that? Ask yourself that question. Or this question, do you see yourself as a dumb and helpless sheep. David did. Do you see yourself like that in light of God's loving care? To where you just say, you know what, God, you, you love me, you care for me, I contribute nothing, and you still do it. 
Or do you realize that God's care has nothing to do with what you've done? See, what does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? It means that he cares for us as his own people. As David begins the psalm, he says that the Lord is his shepherd. And David is speaking with the personal name of God here as somebody who knows God intimately. He's not like the other nations who know God generically. He's somebody who is one of God's people. And that's the audience for this psalm. It's not just anybody. This is someone whom God has chosen and loves. And David says, that's me. And he's given me a good life. He's given me a good life. I don't deserve it. So it means that he cares for us. He cares for his own people as a shepherd cares for his sheep. But if it were left to the sheep, they would never leave verse 3, would they? The sheep would always stay in verses 1 to 3, where everything is green pastures, quiet waters, and they are well taken care of and full of peace. But there's more. There's more that the sheep need, and that leads to the second point. Not only does the Lord care for his sheep, but the Lord leads his sheep. This is really important. In verse 3, as it ends, we see that the Lord leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. And in verses 1 to 3, that looks fantastic, doesn't it? I mean, no problems whatsoever. Everything's taken care of. But here, there's a change in verse 4, and it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is an iconic phrase, and it's, it's ominous, isn't it? It's looming. It gives you the sense that all hope is gone. And what would this do? This would certainly, as a shepherd taking care of sheep, freak them out. It would cause the sheep to be very skittish. They'd get frightened, and they'd go into a panic. And yet, the shepherd is just leading them here. So that's something that we need to recognize, is that the shepherd is leading them. Now, we'll get to why the shepherd is doing this in a second, but at first, we just need to recognize the shepherd is doing it. That's what he's, he's doing. He has the authority. He has the knowledge. He has the willpower. He has the perspective. He knows what's best for the sheep, and so he decides they need to go this direction. And certainly, the sheep would freak out, and that's often what we do in difficult times of life, that no one really wants to go through difficulty in life. And certainly this is something that David's saying, that no sheep really enters this valley on their own. No sheep would even come anywhere within sight of this valley. Yet the shepherd leads them there. And I'm sure that this brought a number of things to David's mind, whether it had happened or, or was happening. You see, David went through all kinds of difficulty in his life and I'm sure that David he didn't want to be under the leadership of a of a neurotic king Saul that literally tried to to stab him at dinner parties but that's where God led him and David didn't want to wait for 15 years to be king after he was already anointed 15 years of being on the run of living in caves and the wilderness and living the most difficult lifestyle possible. David didn't want that, but that's where God led him. Or David didn't want to be on flee for his life as his son Absalom 
staged a coup, took over the kingdom, and then tried to put his own father to death. You see, David's got real heartache here in his life, and he didn't want it. And not only him, but the same is true for us. When you experience difficulty and heartache, the, the shadow, the valley, we don't want that. No one wants it. And I've gone through a lot of it myself, and I'm sure still more to come. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to have meningitis and be on my deathbed practically. But going through that, the Lord showed me how to rely on him more. Or even when it came to, to family deaths, I didn't want my mom to die or my mother-in-law or my father-in-law. Those are dark valleys for me. But still the Lord led me through them. And I'm more compassionate on the other side. You see, when God brings us to these dark valleys, there's purpose in it. And sometimes we see the purpose very clearly, and sometimes we don't. But there's something that's far more important than just what it, what it produces in us, whether that's compassion or long-suffering. There's something far more important, and we see it in verse 4. You see, David enters, and he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Something remarkable happens here. As David reflects on his own difficulty, he says that, yes, it produces something in me, and I, I don't fear because you're with me, but then he says something that changes the psalm. And this happens in the psalms across the board, and so you can always look for it when you're reading a psalm. But he begins the psalm one way, and then he changes halfway through. He begins the psalm with a third-person pronoun, and he, the Lord, He's the one doing these things. He makes me lie down. He's the one who, who gives me good rest. He restores my soul. But by the time you get to verse 4, which no sheep would go into, it changes. The pronouns change. Now David says, not that he, but that you. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's only in the va valley of shadow that the pronouns change. That's one way you could think about it. You see, it's really easy to know God theoretically. And on some level, we do. If you're a believer and you know God in Christ, then you know him. But on some level, that knowledge is always theoretical until difficulty comes. And when difficulty comes, then it becomes experiential. Now your knowledge of God is not just Yes, I believe those things, but now he has walked me through those difficult times. And you come to know and love the shepherd more than you ever would have apart from those difficulties. The valley of shadow actually ends up becoming a servant to help you know and love the shepherd better. And it's the same for David. And David, in the midst of the, the valley, is comforted really by two things as he comes to know and love the shepherd. First is the rod. He mentions the rod that your rod and your staff are with, are with me or they comfort me. And this is really important because the rod is the offensive weapon. This is something that a, a shepherd would carry to fend off wild an animals and protect the sheep. 
So as David thinks about this as a shepherd, he, just, he says, I know what it's like to walk with God in difficulty. It's like he, he has the rod there with me, that whatever happens, he's going to protect me. And not only that, he says, your rod and your staff. The staff is the, the instrument that the shepherd would use to not fend off wild animals, but to pull the sheep back to himself. The sheep freaks out for whatever reason and tries to run off, and the shepherd would be able to grab it or pull the sheep back to himself. So David here is saying that whatever it is, whether it's fears outside or fears inside, whether it's danger that's affecting me and trying to kill me, take over my life, or whether it's fears from within that cripple me, send me into a frenzy and panic, whatever it is, you are there with your rod and your staff comforting me. And so David knows at the end of the day, regardless of the shadow, regardless of the valley that he's going through and the difficulty, he says, it will be okay. Why? For you are with me. He's come to know and love God. And it's so much the same for us in the Christian life that when you walk through difficulty, and some of you may be in it right now, extremely difficult seasons, that this psalm and verse 4 provide for you hope and rest and comfort, just like they did for David. And so we need to ask ourselves whether or not we're fighting this. If this is where the shepherd wants to lead us, are, are you fighting it? Are you fighting the, the valley of shadow? That's always the first reaction. I don't want to go down there. There's nothing good there. Why would, why would you even take me? But the, the shepherd knows that there's green pasture on the other side. For whatever comfort and peace that we have in verses 1 to 3, you only get to verse 5 and 6 through verse 4. The shepherd knows there's greener pasture. And that's what God does with his sheep, is to lead them through difficulty. Why? Not because he's sadistic, not because he wants to see them suffer, but because he knows there's better. There's better on the other side. And so the Lord here certainly is a shepherd that cares for his sheep. And no one has a problem with that, but he's also a shepherd that leads his sheep. He leads them, even when they don't want to go. And it's important that he leads them, because if he didn't, then he ultimately wouldn't love them, would he? If there's better ground to go to, if there's things that would really increase your joy and satisfaction in God and cause you to be more like Christ, then the most loving thing would be to lead you there. And so we see that the shepherd cares for his sheep. He leads his sheep. But he also, and this is the last point, goes before his sheep. You see, in the valley of shadow, the shepherd has taken the sheep with him and is present with him through the difficulty. But before the valley ever comes, there's something that has to be done, and that's scouting out new land. And we start to see this in verse 5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So what do I mean by the Lord goes before his sheep? In verse 5, it says you prepare a table. Probably the better understanding of that that we, we miss out on is table land. This is something that a shepherd would do. Having sheep in one location and then going to find better land, 
he would go to find a new table land, a place where the sheep can graze, where they can rest, that is new and fresh. And uh, a shepherd back in the day, and probably still today, would go to this new land, this table land, and then he would scout it out. And he would say, where are the places that they need to rest? Where are the places they need to graze? Where are the places that they need to have shelter and protection? Where are the places that I can put resources that would help them stay healthy? And so a shepherd would go out to this new land and he would map it out and he would put down um, salt and other minerals that would help the sheep. And so he would very much, in the presence of enemies, new, uh, new dangers around, spread out food in the midst of this new table land. And David, being a shepherd, knows this and says, that's what it's like, that you go before me, before I even see the land, before I even know what's good for me. You go there and you prepare it for me so that when I arrive, it has everything I need, such that my cup overflows. And he also said that you anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. This is something that shepherds would often do for medicinal purposes. They would take a mixture of myrrh and, and uh, oil and, uh, and some other things, and they, they would mix it up, and then they would put it on the sheep's nose and the head. Why? Because, uh, as I found, the only way that you could really describe this is the flies. The flies. So uh, if you've ever been around livestock, then you know it's not the cleanest thing. And especially for sheep, going to a, a new area here, they would just be covered in flies, especially if they had some kind of sickness. And so the shepherd would go, and he would mix up this concoction and then put it on the sheep's head and anoint their head with oil, literally. And as they do that, all the reports that I could read about what shepherds used to do or they still do is the instant reaction when that happens by the sheep is stillness, quietness. And I actually had the opportunity to experience this last night, which is, uh, may sound funny, but uh, I took my family out to dinner. And as we're having dinner at a restaurant, it was outside, Mexican restaurant, won't say which one, and, uh, and there were flies. At first, it was just like one fly, and then two, and then there was like 30 flies. I'm serious, like all over everything. And, uh, and you know, you try to fend off your food from the flies, and then more come, and then you got kids, and so food's everywhere, and so it's just an impossible endeavor. And I was actually eating, getting quite upset, proc- virtually practicing my karate at this point. And, um, and, and then this psalm came to my mind, and I thought, that's what it's like. That's what it's like. All the flies are gone, no problem. And then a huge stink bug actually landed on our table next to my wife, um, which, which certainly animated everything at that point. But uh, that's what I was thinking. Like, this is what it's like for a sheep. Flies everywhere, freaking out. Just get them away. And the Lord anoints them, and stillness and quietness set in. And then you realize, my cup overflows. Taken care of here. And it's the same with David, as he thinks about God's own providential care for his own life that he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's perspective changes here. You see, at first, it's just 
happy. Everything is happy in verses 1 to 3. This is fantastic. I'm taken care of. Verse 3 is, or verse 4 is terrifying. And then verse 5 and 6 lead to this complete rest and assurance that everything the shepherd had, has done is as it should be. There's peace. And, and this is something that David brings up, but it's no surprise to us that as, as this is a common metaphor in Israel, that this is something that Jesus actually brings up later on in the New Testament. He brings up in John 10 about how he is the good shepherd. In verse 14 of chapter 10, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The amazing thing here is that Jesus shows us that he's the one who goes before. You see, when David steps on, uh, when Jesus steps onto the scene, and he's, he's talking to the crowd and the religious leaders about who he is, he says, you want to know who I am? Turn to Psalm 23. That's who I am. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. You see, the shepherd here, historically, he goes before the sheep. It's very sacrificial. It's a ton of work. He has to scout everything out for the sheep. But Jesus comes, and he prepares the way before his sheep. He prepares the way before those who know him and love him. And we see in Psalm 23 certain things that are completely true of Jesus, don't we? That Jesus walked through, he, Jesus didn't walk, just walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He died in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus didn't just sit with enemies and have dinner. He actually had the very person who betrayed him at dinner. Jesus wasn't just somebody who was anointed symbolically, but he was literally the anointed one, the Christ. Jesus certainly had more goodness and mercy to follow him than anyone in human history. And so in Psalm 23, we see Jesus start to make an echo of it in John 10 to say, do you want to know who the shepherd is? It's me. I'm the Lord. I'm the one that David's talking about. And not only that, but something really shocking happens here, and that Jesus eventually comes to say that he is the shepherd, but far more than the shepherd. You see, when Jesus comes, he's, he's running off of echoes of all sorts of things in Jewish history. The Passover. What happened at the Passover? Every year, God instituted it early on in Israel's life that the blameless and spotless lamb would have to be sacrificed for the sins of the nation. And so Jesus comes, and what does John the Baptist do? What does John the Baptist do as the New Testament opens? He stands up after preaching and telling people that God would send the rescuer finally, in a sense that God would bring the shepherd, and he stands up and he sees Jesus, and he shouts out, Behold, not the shepherd, but the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John knew that Jesus was the shepherd, yes. I'm not worthy to baptize you, is what he said. But more than being the shepherd, he is the lamb. This is the thing that nobody could predict, that the shepherd became the lamb. 
And if we're only to think that this is, this is something that was near and dear to Jesus' heart in his earthly ministry, we're completely wrong. Completely wrong. Jesus did come, suffered, died, and rose from the dead. Yes, but his identity is now eternally bound up with being a sheep. We see this in Revelation 5. Speaking of the heavenly scene, it says this in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. In verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. You're worthy because you're the lamb. And by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every trump tribe, language, people, and nation. In verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd, but he's also the lamb. And this changes things for us. It's so easy. It's so easy to come to the Bible, to come to the scriptures, to come to Christianity and think, well, of course, of course he's the shepherd. It's not like it cost him anything. It cost him everything. For no reason did Jesus have to become a sheep other than you and me. This should bring perspective for us. It should bring quietness. You see, when the Lord is the shepherd who goes before his sheep, it brings a quietness to you. And you start to see whatever it happens in life, whatever the difficulty is, you can have rest and peace. Why? It's because you're quieted. In Psalm 23, why so many people like it, I'm sure, is because it, it speaks of a quiet contentedness that everyone longs for. And this is what the psalm does for us, that when you see that the Lord is Jesus who cares for you, who leads you and goes before you, it quiets you. And then you ended up saying, you end up saying, like with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need because of him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for coming and not just caring and leading us as the great shepherd of our souls but coming and going before us, doing the things that we could not, demonstrating the obedience that we could not. God, we thank you for sending your Son who knows all of the frenzy that we feel, all of the distraught cries of anguish that happen in our souls, that knows them because he's been there, Lord, we thank you for providing for us not just the shepherd, but someone who knows and relates to us on the deepest levels imaginable. God, and I ask that as we continue to think on you and reflect on what you've done in your son, that you would cause for us to be quieted by your love, to reflect on your goodness and to say, regardless of what's happening in life, I have a shepherd, and he knows exactly what it's like to be a sheep. 
We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.